Well, thanks again to our music team for leading us in our worship this morning. I've been looking forward all week to uh, being here this Sunday and sharing what God's been teaching me. It's one of the advantages of doing ministry and being able to preach God's Word is that you've got to go through it, and it's got to go through you. Now, I know it's possible to just kind of do an intellectual exercise of, you know, these people need to hear this and, and do that, but typically the very thing that I'm preparing is what God is starting to work into my life. And we've been in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, which is one of Paul's letters to uh, his friends. He had friends all over this part of the world in Asia Minor. The, the city of Ephesus is on the coast of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. It was a seaport, and he had been there probably two and a half years just pouring his life into these people. Ephesians is a bit unique because it's not dealing with the problem. A lot of his letters were trying to help them work through their problems. But this one is a letter of reminders. And I found that I need to be reminded. Sometimes I get frustrated. I think, you know, I learned that when I was in my 20s, or I learned that in high school. Am I having to learn this again? We do that as parents. We remind our kids. Um, but it can be a little frustrating when we're being reminded again. But he is reminding these beloved friends of some incredible truths, just incredible truths. And there are three big reminders that we've talked about. Remember who you are, not how you see yourself someday. Sometimes you look in the mirror and we say, I'm a loser. <laughs> you may not have used those words, but many of us have felt that way. He wants you to remember who you are, who God says you are. Second, remember what you have. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ of all of God's riches. That's an amazing thought. And then the third reminder is remember how to walk. And we see the word walk almost a dozen times throughout this letter. And a walk is how you live, the practical application of how you live. But the order is incredibly important because you really can't understand how to live until you understand who you are and what you have. So chapters 4 through 6 are really, and that's where we're studying right now, is how do we walk? How do we live this life? And it is based, chapters 4, 5, and 6 have their foundation in chapters 1, 2, and 3. So I hope that encourages you a little bit to dive in and read Ephesians because it's just so loaded with helpful encouragement for and, and practical. I, I believe Ephesians is the most practical of all of his writings. Now, I'm going to begin this morning by, by having you look at a verse, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. These verses are, are probably the most recognizable and uh, of what you would, would know. But they're so loaded with helpful truth. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, it says, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Now, those, those verses, those first two verses 
probably describe as well as any place in all of Scripture the nature of eternal life and salvation. It is a gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It is a free gift from God. It is not by works, which would include going to church, membership, baptism, living a good life, trying the best you can, and a whole list of things that we might say to God, oh, look at me, I've done a good job. No, it's a gift. And all we can do is humbly say, Lord, I receive that free gift of eternal life. Isn't that, isn't that tremendous? It's, it's reassuring. But then he switches into, because of that, this is who you are and what you have. Now, this is how you live. This is how you walk. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. In other words, his special creation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So God does not say good works are unimportant. But good works are not necessary for salvation, but they flow from a genuine salvation. So good works come from a person who is genuinely saved, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do them. And uh, several translations will use this for us to do, but the literal word is the word walk. (laughs) And And I love that. I love that. God has prepared ahead of time for us to walk in these, to walk in his workmanship. So he saved us. He has given to us an inheritance. We are his children. Now he is teaching us how to walk. So the challenge in chapter 4, verse 1, which kicks off the practical part is, so walk, so walk. I want you to walk this way. And he talks about walking in unity. And last week we talked about walking in purity. And this, this section we're going to go through from verse this morning from verse 20 to 32. It's a lot of verses. So when I read through this, I'm going to, I'm going to circle back around and try to, try to organize this in a way that you can remember it, okay? And it can be helpful to you uh, because it's like this rapid-fire discussion. But we would entitle this second part of Walk in Purity. Last, last week, we looked at the concept this morning, we're going to look at some just the practical way we live in purity. Now, you may ask the question, why would I be motivated to walk in purity? What would motivate me to even want to do that? What would motivate me to live a holy life? I don't think it's so much of being holy in and of itself that, that uh, we're talking about, but... When there is a holy atmosphere, there is the opportunity and the possibility of joy and happiness and peace and fellowship and contentment. And when you don't have have holiness, you can't have that. Now, let me give you an example. If you ever go into a home and the kids are really disobedient, and I know you've probably never seen that before, never experienced a situation uh, certainly not your home, but uh, when and the kids are arguing, they're disobedient, they're not being respectful, they're screaming, they're runner, running around. Let me ask you a question. Who in that household is happy? No one. No one. Now, you would think the kids would be just wonderfully happy because they're getting their way, you know? They're doing what they want to do. But the truth is, those kids are absolutely miserable. 
whenever they argue and fight and disobey, they're miserable. And everyone in that home is miserable. (laughs) But when children honor their parents, and when they're obedient and they show respect, then you have happiness, joy. You, you, you know, you've seen that too. You've seen a home where the kids are getting along, they're having fun, they're interacting well with their parents, there are other kids that are around. So holiness and purity is not just like, oh, who's going to be holy to be holy? But if, if we really want unity vertically and, and unity horizontally, we have to have purity and holiness in life. So this is what we talk about. I'm going to read through this. You can follow along. Uh, on the screen. So he transitions from how you used to live to to the new way. And this is what we looked at last week. Verse 20 says, But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. To take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, And to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, He is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with everyone in need. No foul language should ever come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So I, that's a lot. (laughs) Say, how are we going to go through all of that this morning? And I'm, what I'm going to try to just kind of back up and and take an overview of this text and categorize a few things that it can help for us make it memorable and and practical. As we said, holiness and purity make a way. Sin, when sin enters into any relationship, it is disruptive. It's disruptive with my relationship with God. It's disruptive with my relationship with my wife. It's disruptive with my relationship with my kids when I go to work. Sin is the great disruptor and the great destroyer. And so God desires holiness because within holiness we can have unity and joy and peace. So the practical ways. We talked a little bit about how we're holy, and uh, I'm not going to belabor this, but I think it's important to understand it. You were, the day you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you were made holy. That's, that's in position, justified. Someday you can be like Rod Anderson. You know, Rod Anderson is in heaven today, and he's completely holy. And he'll never sin again. Uh, Everything around him is beautiful and wonderful and great. 
And that's what we call glorification. So you had justification when you became a Christian, glorification when we're in heaven. Now the muck in the middle <laughs> is where we're living. And we call that sanctification. I know that's kind of a big word, but sanctification is really how we grow. It's how we work through life. And so I battle, I, I, I battle many things. So as we look at this text, what, what stood out to me were three arenas where we have this battle. We have this warfare. We have this struggle for purity. We have this struggle for healthy relationships. So these three arenas, first of all, your mind. And if you look in verse 23, it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay, so the the first one is your mind. The second one is your mouth. Verse 29 of Ephesians 4, no foul language should come from your mouth. So the mind, the mouth, and the third arena he uses here is your hands. So he says in Ephesians 4.28, he should do honest work with his own hands. So you follow this, what you think, what you say, and what you do. Your mind, your mouth, and your hands. We go back to the mind for just a moment. The mind and what I think really affects everything about my life. It is what no one else sees, what's going on inside of my head. So I look out here and I see some of you are, I see all of your eyes pretty much. Now I have no idea what's going on behind those eyes. I mean, you could be thinking a lot of things about me or what I'm saying or thinking about something totally different. Just have that kind of passive smile on your face. Now, but there's stuff going on. For most of you, there's some stuff going on in your mind. And the Lord talks about this as being a place of of battleground. It's, It's of spiritual warfare all through the New Testament. Now, I cannot control every thought that comes into my head. But I can control what I do with that thought, how I respond to that. Am I going to just keep on thinking that, thinking that, thinking that? And how I think ends up affecting how I speak, and it affects how I live. So this is why when we talk about these three arenas, this is the most important battleground. Remember when we lived over in... uh, a different neighborhood, and I'd get out and take a walk on Saturdays, and I'd, I'd usually pray through my message. I'd p- pray for the people in our church, and I'd just get, take this long walk of concentration. All of a sudden, these blackbirds would come at my head, and they'd actually hit me. And they had nests all around the sidewalk. You have this beautiful sidewalk and you know, water, and these blackbirds are just dive-bombing on me. And... Um, it's kind of disruptive to your prayer life. You know, it's hard to be, you know, really ticked off at these birds that God created and they're just protecting, they think, their own nests, but I'm walking too close and they're dive bombing me. And so I start thinking, and I usually, you know, I get home, I forget about it. Next time I'm out, oh yeah, here come the birds. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to come up with a plan how to get rid of them or maybe they won't won't die by me it, it didn't work i found out the best thing to do is just not walk that that path remember someone saying 
you know, you can't, you can't prevent birds from flying over your head, but you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. And that's, that's the way with thoughts. Have you ever had a thought and you thought, where did I think that? So usually it's a bad thought. <laughs> you have a really bad thought and they go, man, I can't believe I had such a horrible thought. Where did that come from? Well, it could come from a number of places. You know, your your human nature, you've got a sinful world all around you. You have Satan that's constantly trying to, to get you discouraged. But rather than trying to figure that out, you realize this, that I can make some changes in what I meditate upon or choose to be thinking. If, if I think the wrong things or things that are not pleasing to God or not right, eventually that's going to pull my whole life down. Philippians 4 and verse 8, this is another letter that Paul wrote from prison. He says, now, brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So it is possible to win that battle of the mind. The second arena arena is the mouth. (laughs) And, you know, it's interesting. He says here in, in chapter 4, verse 29, let no foul language come out of your mouth. And in verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you. The writer of Proverbs said in chapter 18, verse 21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And, and James said this in chapter 3, verse 1. He said, we, all, we stumble in many ways. Anyone who does not stumble in what he says is perfect. Now think about that. All of us struggle. All of us struggle with what we say, the tongue. And there, there are times I think back, and I'm sure you have too, that I wish I never would have said that. I wish I never would have said that. It's like, I can't help it, I can't help it, I can't help it. But we do. But our mouth, it gets us in more trouble of things that we say. And then the final arena is your hands of what you do. He says... We should do honest work with his own hands. He says, you don't steal, but do honest work with your own hands. This is in verse 28. And I think of in Proverbs, it says, even a child is known by his doings. So how I live, how I walk, what I do is affected. So here's here's a challenge we have. And I've I've tried to arrange this this way. We have three arenas. We have three challenges, and then I want to end in a moment with, uh, uh, not a moment, but a little bit here, uh, with three questions to ask ourselves. So the three arenas, my thinking, what I'm saying, and what I'm doing. The challenges that Paul gives here in chapter 4, I'm going to list them this way. First of all is to be truthful, to be honest. Because if we don't have honesty and integrity and truthfulness, we cannot have good relationship. It breaks down trust. Now, being truthful doesn't mean that you need to say everything that's true. (laughs) That would would get us into trouble. But in chapter 4 and verse 25, it says, speak the truth. 
God is truth. He dwells in truth. God is a holy God. We need to think what is true about God. I wonder how many times I think things that are not true about God. In other words, I think he doesn't care or he's not there. Have you ever thought that? I mean, I have. I'm thinking, Lord, I, that's the way I feel. I feel, I don't feel his presence. I may not feel his favor. I may not feel his forgiveness. Is that true, though? What, what does God's word tell me about God? He's always there. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Is that the truth? I mean, he says, my word is truth. So if I, if I think, if I keep on thinking how I feel, it's going to send me into a downward spiral. It's just going to be taking me down. But if I go back, and to me it's a discipline, back to what God says in his word is true about him. What do I know about God? This is why I, I kind of, I even write these things out so I don't forget them. You know, that, that God is ever-present, He's all-wise, He's all-knowing, He loves me no matter what. His love, his love for me, in the, actually the New Testament came up with a new word, it's agape, is it is unconditional love. God's love for me is not conditioned on my behavior. He loves me. So all of these promises of the character of God, What does God say about me? He tells me, and this is what earlier on we go on, who I am, what he did for me, how I stand with him, how I'm his child. What does God say about the situation? Do I I believe what is true? Speak the truth. Christ is truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. His word is truth. His his spirit is the spirit of truth. So God has made it possible for us. We don't know everything. We're not omniscient. We We don't know all things. But what we do know is everything we need to live a life that has peace and joy and contentment. When I think of these three words, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, I don't know what, how you process those, but when I read through Proverbs, I think knowledge is knowing the facts. And a lot of us know the facts. Wisdom is being able to apply the facts. In other words, I can, I can see the facts, and I know how to relate, relate those facts to a pract- in a practical way, which is very important. <laughs> but the third is understanding. And understanding is that I have now applied the facts in practical experience. In other words, not just knowledge, knowing what to do. Wisdom is knowing how to apply it to my situation here. But understanding is having exercised that knowledge and wisdom and have had the experience. I have gone through that experience. And that that's how we grow in our maturity. I have seen people that know a lot. And you have too. I see people that know a lot of things. They know Bible verses. They know the truth. They know what is right. And they're really good at applying it. 
especially with other people. <laughs> but they've never gone through it themselves to have the experience of understanding. In any given situation, we don't know everything. Things that we still don't know. But we know enough truth to be able to process what we need to. So be truthful. And this is the way I, I apply. I know I've got three sets of three here, which may say that, that's getting kind of complicated. But if you can follow with me. Be truthful. Be truthful. Have integrity. Be honest in what you think. And everything that you say is truthful in everything you do. And these are the verses, verse 17. Uh, he talks about the futility of thoughts, things not being true. Verse 25, he talks away, put, put away lying. In verse 28, he talks about let the thief steal no longer. So this is, this is incredible that we have maintain integrity. When I was, uh, I think it was, I was a senior in high school, I was taking a test. I was sitting in a room. I'm sure this similar things have happened to you, and I I was kind of trying to figure out what the answer was to several of the questions I hadn't studied. I never did study a lot in high school, but uh, that's that's product of the California education system. <laughs> and I'd sit there, and so I'm looking over at the girl next to me, and she had all her answers down there. I thought, well, I worked through this justification. Well, I already saw them. Well, it just reminded me what I already knew. <clears throat> Aren't we really creative on that kind of stuff? It's like, no, I'm not really going to, I'm not going to cheat because I'm not going to, copy that, but now, now that I'm reminded, what do I do? I really know it, so I wrote down all the answers, <clears throat> and I didn't realize that she didn't know what she was doing either, and she had, she had like these bizarre answers that I copied down, so my teacher asked to speak to me, you know, the next day, and said, uh, Matt, I said, I noticed, uh, and he pulled out the two test papers, and he said, these, these are so far off, he said, but you have the answer the same answers that she does. And I'm thinking, I just don't have any idea how that could have happened. <laughs> now, you can appreciate what teachers do because, I mean, they're, they're tr you know, they're going to, you know, force it. So he said, okay, and he let it go. Well, I, I knew what I'd done. Uh, not only had I cheated, I'd lied about it. And uh, And I wasn't really at that point in my life walking closely to the Lord. I was I was I would say I was a Christian and I'd nod my head to all the things I knew I should have, but but anyway, this thing started eating at me. And so you think, well, I bet the next day you went in and confessed. No. <laughs> I did go back in and confessed a year later. I was in college. I was in college. Since that time I'd surrendered my life to the Lord and I was gonna preach. I was, <laughs> I was going to preach, and you know what? Every time it seemed like I bow my head to pray, Lord, if there's anything in my life, it's like, oh, not that. I do not want to go back. I mean, that is so embarrassing to go back. And you know what, Lord, you've forgiven me, and I've I've confessed it, and he he doesn't know, he doesn't care. But I finally, by the end of my freshman year, you can imagine this. I mean, the whole freshman year, I'm preparing for ministry, and this thing just gnawing. I'm thinking, oh, it's not that important. It's not a big deal. I finally go back to my teacher, and I said, I'd like to talk to you, and I just see him smiling, <laughs> which made it worse for me. And I said, I want to let you know that um, 
I did cheat on that test. And he, he said, I know. <laughs> and I lied, lied to you about it. And, and I said, I'm willing to, I, and I'm kind of worried. Maybe he's going to take away my high school diploma. I'm going to drop out of college. I'm going to, you know, but he just thanked me. And I don't know that if it really helped him any, because, I mean, he's dealing with kids like that all the time, you know. But for me, it freed me. It freed me because there was something in my life that lacked integrity. There was something wrong. And it may not seem that big, but it was enough for it to prick my conscience. And really for, for me to walk in a complete fellowship and unity with the Lord, that needs to be cleared up. And it's as quick as confession. But you know what? I had confessed that the day I did it. But there was another part of this that was on the horizontal level. And the Lord talks about that. Don't, don't be doing forgiveness and asking for forgiveness and forgive it with me if you're not willing to do it on this level. And it is so hard often to do it on that level. When, when we've been wrong, to apologize and to make it right. Now, we need to, to learn to become good at this. Why? Because we sin all the time. And what happens is, if you keep on doing this without confessing vertically and horizontally, you, you become what he describes here in these earlier verses as hard and calloused. And your relationships aren't good. Every time I would see that teacher, which wasn't often, but I think, oh, <laughs> I'm going to go the other way. And what if that what if that person needed to hear the gospel? How am I going to explain the good news of eternal life? How am, how am I going to be ever be a help or have a relationship? That's why I don't care how good you are. How you know, and some of you are really good. You you know, you think the right things a lot. You you do the right things. You say the right things. And you're, you're, you live a pretty good Christian life. But I can tell you this. There's enough there every day. Um, I had one, one of these uh, guys came to, when I was at Christian college, I was, I was uh, in charge of having speakers come in and speak. You know, so I'd have, I had this evangelist come in one time, and he said, I've really been memorizing my Bible and praying and trying to walk with God, and he said, I, have, I, I haven't sinned. He said, I've gone for six weeks without sinning. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm thinking, I, I can't go six minutes. And I'm thinking, this is, this is really going to mess these students up. It's really going to mess these students up. Because what it, what it is, it's all about how holy I can be and how righteous I can be. You know, to me, the closer you get to God, the more sensitive you should get. And so the next day I said, I, I got to explain it. Hey, listen, I'm not saying it's okay to sin, but it, it, every day we have thoughts not pleasing to God. Every day we say things we probably shouldn't say. It may not be horrible things, but they're enough to affect the relationship either vertically or horizontally. To walk in purity, we must walk in honesty and integrity and to walk in truth. So, be truthful. Secondly, be kind. Oh, (laughs) 
And you know, there, there's a group of people in the Bible that were always right. They knew the truth. But Jesus condemned them. Do you remember the, the names of those people? The Pharisees. Now, in that day, a Pharisee, when you said someone's a Pharisee, that was a compliment. Nowadays, a Pharisee, that's not a compliment. But, you know, we can be so right and so true and so dogmatic that this is right, this is true. But if we lack kindness, we're wrong. We're wrong. Now, how do I know that? Because this is what the Bible says, Ephesians 4 and verse 32. This is the very last verse of this section. So not only is it important to be true, but to be kind. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as Christ forgave you. That's a loaded statement. So it's possible to be right. And this is where I kind of step aside and talk about politics a little bit. (laughs) Because... Sometimes as Christians, we're so concerned about being right that we've lost our ability to love. And Jesus said this, the most distinguishing characteristic should be with Christians is the great love that you have for one another and the great love you have for the world. Just as Christ forgave you. So if I am right about my facts, and yet I am not kind and compassionate and tender-hearted and patient and forgiving and gracious and empathetic and sensitive, I'm wrong. And it destroys relationship. It's like this, a person in your family, they're always right. They're a champion for truth. They can point out error. They live by the book. But they're not kind. They don't represent Christ. They don't represent God. They don't represent authentic Christianity, do they? So I'm not saying it's not important to be true because you have to have truthfulness. Otherwise, you have no trust. You have no relationship. But there must be kindness. The law of love and the way of Christ. And love is an action. Love is something we do. Love is something that we take the initiative. That's what I love about the New Testament love is that love is not just holding back. Love is actively pursuing people with kindness, forgiveness, sympathy, empathy, patience, help. In thought, in word and deed. And I think, you know, we talk about all three of these, to be kind in your thinking, kind with what you're saying. Every word that comes out of your mouth should be kind. And in what you do. It's what you do. The third is this, be helpful. So be truthful, be kind, be helpful. And I love what he says in verse 29 of Ephesians 4. Speak what is good for building 
up someone in need. In other words, our lives, what we think and what we say and what we do should be building people up. Now, there there are two examples that I think in Scripture, and you may want to mark these down because they're very helpful. One of them is Matthew chapter 18, and then the other is the first part of Galatians chapter 6. Now, I have watched in over 40 years now since I was back preparing for ministry and starting to preach. I have seen many of my friends who are pastors and missionaries and evangelists completely given to serve God stumble and fall. Overtaken by sin, some of them immorality, some of them um, financial things, and some of them, a lot of them just got so discouraged they quit. And they're out of the ministry today. Someone told me that if you start off when you're going to seminary, by the time a guy's at the end of his life, only one in ten people will be still be in ministry. Now, <clears throat> when I hear that, it just makes me get on my knees and say, Lord, protect me. Now, but here's what I've watched happen. We're sitting in class together. We're taking systematic theology. We're, we're in Greek class. We're parsing verbs. We're doing all these things. We're going out, preaching, doing things. Next thing you know, one of the guys has stumbled and fallen. Typically what happens is I see guys just turn and walk away. They just turn and walk away because they don't know how to deal with it. Or they turn around and point their finger and say, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you did that. I've seen, I've seen guys out of the ministry because of a moral failure and all of his other friends said, I cannot believe you did something so disgusting. Well, brother, I'm thinking, you better believe it because you could do that too. Every one of us are capable of doing anything sinful. What, what we're talking about in here is doing something helpful for people. Those two passages I talked about, it says, if you, in, in, in Matthew 18, it says, if someone sins... It says, you go to them privately. You don't make a federal case. You don't write it up in the paper. You don't, can you believe what happened? No, you go to them for the purpose of restoring them. And if, and if they don't respond well, go get someone else <laughs> and go to them. And they just kind of keep escalating this. But the whole purpose is restoration. It's not exposing them. And in fact, you know, I, I've seen people say, well, I just hate to do this to you, brother. I just hate to expose this. You know, i got to tell everybody. See people dragging them in front of the church and, you know, say, okay, we're going to bring you in front of the church and you're going to let everybody know. Well, if everybody doesn't already know, they don't need to know. If, if you can help that person and they, and they want to be helped, the whole goal is building people up. So, in, in, and I go back to this um, thinking, speaking, and doing. Everything I do should be true and honest. It should be kind, loving, 
to that person, and it should be building that person up. This is what God has intended for us to do. So when we say be helpful, the word used throughout Ephesians and really all Paul's letters is grace, and grace is is really the enabling of these things. So three questions. This is uh, in conclusion. When you start thinking, speaking, or doing, ask yourselves, is it true? Is it kind? And is it helpful? (laughs) Is it true? Is it kind? Is it helpful? This is who you are. God created you to be. You know the enemy always attacks. We need to be ready with response and be pleasing to him, to walk a worthy walk. Someone described what would be your desire as we follow Jesus. We don't do that perfectly, but we do that faithfully. And so it's the best way for me to sum up all of these things to challenge you by asking these questions because Paul is reminding them of the importance of how we think, how we speak, and how we behave. And that's why he says, so walk in purity. Let's bow together as we pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning for your word that helps us practically in these ways. Lord, we desire purity and holiness because we know that in purity and holiness dwells joy and peace and contentment and unity and oneness and healthy relationships. I pray that would be true with every marriage, every family, and with this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.